0: Welcome to The Future Belongs to Creators. I'm your host, Barrett Brooks. I'm the COO at ConvertKit. My co-host is our CEO, Nathan Berry. We're on a mission to help creators earn a living. And this is a show about turning anxious energy into creative output during times of uncertainty. Okay, we're live. The uh, for for the crew watching who watches regularly, the Zoom adventures continue. So you got 30 seconds of me staring at my computer earlier while I was testing our live stream feed. Now, however, you have the main attractions, which are James Clear and Ryan Delk. Uh, James and Ryan are two of Nathan and my uh, dear friends. You've probably heard of them both. um, But if you haven't, James is the author of Atomic Habits. It sold over a million copies now. It was on the New York Times bestseller list. Uh, many, many, many a lot. Yeah. James, could you fill us in with the uh, to the single book number?
1: Yeah, actually, I can't. Hold on. <laughs> can't my sales spreadsheet.
0: <laughs> but while you're pulling that up.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's every time I open up a Chrome tab, um, <laughs> it's uh,
0: 2,324,654. Wow. Uh, my apologies. Well, you know the sticker on the front, which is all I pay attention to, says over a million copies right. sold. Printing um, delays, man. <laughs> uh, it's one of the best-selling books. It'll probably become one of the best-selling books of the decade. Yeah, well on its way to being an all-time classic. So, James, uh, your no time pressure. Is more, and more valuable. Yeah, exactly. Thanks for joining us. And then Ryan is the the founder of a company called Primer, which is aiming to make homeschool more approachable and more accessible for parents all over. Could not be more timely for the times we live in, Um, but he also previously uh, led growth at a company called Gumroad, which a lot of creators will be familiar with. Um, And then right before he started Primer, he was at a company called Omni, which was allowing you to both store uh, all your extra stuff and then rent it out to people similar to Airbnb for things like skis and outdoor gear or things for around the home too. So these are James and Ryan, my, my cheeky title for the topic internally was... The seven habits of highly prolific creators. (laughs) (laughs) That's really great. Uh, I got a kick from that, uh, anyways, we're going to talk about, um, how James and Ryan structure structure their days and their lives to, um, to be prolific creators themselves and just kind of what we can learn from them. But first let's do a little red, yellow, green check-in. Uh, we'll go James, Ryan, and then I'll, I'll round it out. Red, yellow, green. If you don't know, James, um, is just a quick stoplight style check-in for how you're doing today.
1: What happens at each uh, stop? Red, you uh, you get kicked off the podcast.
0: <laughs> red is, I'm not having a great day, but this is going to make it better. Yellow is, it's kind of a meh day, but uh, I'm here anyways, and green's like, I'm good to go. Let's do this.
1: Got it. Is there anything besides red when you're surrounded by the current company?
0: <laughs> um, No, otherwise, I'm a green. I'm great. Yeah. Love it. We're catching you uh, kind of on the back half of your day. You get to have a little close it out with um, with the crew here. Right, man. Early
1: bird gets warm. Live on the East Coast.
0: I love it. Uh, Ryan, how you doing? Uh, I'm also
2: green. Uh, Been pretty crazy a couple of weeks and definitely a few more crazy weeks ahead of us with the school school year starting. But um, yeah, feeling pretty a little tired, but um, so maybe hints of yellow, but mostly pretty green.
0: I hear you. I uh, I'm I think I'm green today still working on getting to bed early enough that I get enough sleep by the time my child wakes up. And so that's on me. But uh, other than that, we had a good weekend. We went out blackberry picking, uh, importantly. Also on uh, Saturday, we went out for a little hike in a little state park before it was 100 degrees outside. So on brand. Oh, I know. So on brand. Anyways, it was a good weekend. That is our prescribed four to five minutes of banter. I thought I'd, I'd kind of kick things off with uh the, the pretext of this conversation, number one, is that on Friday, I canceled the podcast because Nathan was camping this weekend and uh, he couldn't make it. And I couldn't find a co-host from inside the company Friday, so I just canceled it and then tweeted that I was going to be back on Monday with a guest host. And Ryan, you cheekily responded with a little like, oh, you didn't invite me to be co-host. And I was like, OK. And then James chimed in and said something like me neither. Well, now you're both co-hosts, so congratulations. But uh, I figured we could throw something together that would actually be really useful for everyone talking about just kind of how we, how we do things um, and what leads to the highest output for us. And since the three of us are here and we've known each other for a long time, I thought we could start with people and just kind of um, how y'all think about the people you surround yourselves with in your life and how that influences your work.
1: I'm questioning it right now. <laughs> honestly I think the way that we all met is a great example of this you know like I mean part of the problem when you're an entrepreneur and Ryan you can speak to this in a different through a different lens than I can because San Francisco in many ways like creates this kind of zone where people connect over that uh in a much more prevalent way than they do in say Ohio or wherever but a lot of the problem for me is that it like entrepreneurship is a lonely venture And you don't have anywhere to connect with people. Um, You know, it's even if you are surrounded by other people starting their own thing, running your own business can be lonely and isolating in some ways. And so you need ways to interface with people who are dealing with the same problems that you are like. I didn't have any entrepreneurs in my family. You know, I knew I was friends with one guy in high school who was a DJ, but I feel like everybody knows someone who in high school is a DJ. So like that's that was like the extent of freelancers and entrepreneurs that I crossed paths with. And if you're not going to naturally get that space where you get to hang out with people, I feel like you need to create it. And that's, you know, kind of how we started meeting was just through these retreats or different conferences. You know, Barrett, I think I first met you at WDS. So going to the seeking out or creating spaces where you can be around people who inspire you or create the kind of work that you aspire to create, or even are just dealing with like the same problems that you're dealing with, I think is, is really crucial. And there's a space for mentors too, but generally I've found it more helpful to be in a space where I'm around people who are like one to two steps ahead of me. Um, Mm. because those, those peers have recently dealt with all the same problems or challenges that you've dealt with. And there's just a lot of like useful learning and connection that can happen through that.
2: Yeah. 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 I would say also, so I agree on the mentors thing. I think people put way too much emphasis on finding like one or two people that are going to be there. They treat them like Sherpas or something for their life. And at least in my experience, that's never happened for me. I don't have like one or two people that I call, but I have a group of 15 or 20 people that I look up to and have learned things from. The other thing I would say is that um, it can be tempting to only think about building relationships with people that are in your exact sphere. And I think our little crew um, is pretty interesting because a lot of us don't have a ton in common from like a business perspective, like James business looks very different than my business. Mm. Um, But I think I've learned a ton from James. And I think I've learned a ton from a bunch of different people in our crew that are not necessarily running startups in the same way that I am. So I think also don't, don't sleep on the idea that you can learn a ton from people who are truly like, like I would would focus more on finding people who are like top 1% at what they do and less almost care less about what they do. Because you you can probably learn a lot from anyone who's like the best, uh, the best at what they do, whether they're an artist or a writer or a filmmaker or an entrepreneur or whatever. Um, And so I think that's almost, that's probably far more important than what the actual thing that they do is in terms of learning.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Anytime you see like evidence of greatness, I'm just like naturally attracted or interested in that. You know, there's like always so many things that you can pick up from being around people like that. And it's almost like that is the common denominator is that they care and they're really good at what they do. Not like everybody happens to be running an email marketing company or whatever, you know, Mm -hmm. there can be a good spread of interest there. And honestly, a lot of times it's even better that way because, you know, there's stuff that might be more natural for a SaaS company to try for growth. That would be very unnatural for like a blogger to try. But then if you take that and just, you know, tweak it a little bit, it often will give you some kind of interesting edge or, you know, a new opens up a new area that you hadn't previously considered.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think in terms of like two things I take away from that and that, uh, applied to my own life here too, are number one that does cross pollination of ideas and applying things that in a lot of cases are common practice and one industry or one like line of work to another line of work where they might seem novel or new or interesting can really pay dividends to your point, James, but you only get exposed to that if you're around other people, you know, if you only surround yourselves with uh, yourself with authors, for example, James or Ryan's other startup operators, like there's a lot of benefit to that, right? Because they're on the same journey, but also having a group of peers and people you're around that come from other spaces give you exposure and interest in other ideas. Well, number one, like all of us were kind of not nobody, nobody, but pretty much nobody in terms of what we had done so far when we first met, we were, but our trajectories were all kind of on a similar graph line. And so I think we could see that in each other. Like we may not have been top 1% at anything at the time, but we were trying to be like, that was our aim is I want to go to a place where I'm very good at what I do. And I see that in you. So let's go on the journey together. I think that's something that anyone can take away is finding people on a similar trajectory
1: there's so much shared context there too that, uh, when you come up kind of in the same, we can call it like a generation, so to speak, or that same kind of group of, you know, the people who got started in that like five year span or so, I don't know. There's just like a lot of, because you're kind of in the same cultural ether, uh, there's just a lot of stuff that you just share context on. So you can get up to speed really quick relationships form really fast. I think that causes things to translate more. I'm thinking about this more now that we've been talking about this point for the last couple of minutes. And I have a couple of friends who are entrepreneurs in Columbus, but they run like brick and mortar businesses and like retail or pizza shops or stuff like that is it's, it's very different. And like, it's just hard for uh, their insights to translate as well. Um, So there probably is some kind of sweet spot where Mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be the same business, but maybe it's like digitally native or, you know, primarily focused online or whatever. And in coming up at relatively the same time as you, you know, like Seth Godin occupies a very different space for me, for insight-wise, you know, like it's great to be able to talk with him, but he came up in a totally different era. And Mm -hmm. so uh, there's just like different learning points there than people who are kind of in your same, uh, in that same generation.
2: Yeah. I think also the like relationships compound at a rate that people I don't think totally realize. And so I, I spent my framework for, either like hiring someone or investing in a company or letting someone invest in my companies are, it's almost always like, do I want to do business or be in relationship with this person for a decade or two decades? Mm-hmm. And I think that there's something really special about the compounding nature of relationships that we, maybe just as humans, we aren't good at predicting. And so I think if you can find that crew and invest in that crew, it, it feels like that that is like a, a pretty incredible unlock if you can get it right early, because, you know, we like, all of us could meet the equivalent of like James could meet to, you know, startup execs. We could meet an author or whatever that are like similar field, but like, there's just no way that we would build up the, whatever it is, eight years of shared context that we have. Like that time is like we had that time and no other relationship we have will ever have that. And so I think that's also something to think about is if you can find those people, invest in them, make the time because the compounding nature of it after five, six, seven, eight, ten 10 years becomes really magical.
1: You've done an incredible job with that, Ryan, too. Like, I, I feel like you're so excellent at building those relationships and developing that over the long time span. And you're right. There's some. I mean, you can just sort of see it like nodes in a network. Like you start to meet people and then, you know, you get 10 years out and it's like, holy crap, like there's, you know, 10,000 connections there. But it also is very much the kind of thing that on a daily basis, it doesn't really feel sexy. And you're just like having a conversation here or there or um you know keeping things going and then all of a sudden you turn around a decade later and it's like you have more opportunities coming your way than you even know what to do with and suddenly you have to say no to everything which is like this very interesting shift i think that all of us have felt in our careers at different times like you have to say yes to everything and be like very gracious and invested early on and then all of a sudden you gotta like flip the switch and start saying (laughs) no to stuff but it's it's largely because of uh this kind of compounding of relationships thing that you're talking about
0: yeah totally Yeah. And I think the longer, the longer you go on and if you are on a good trajectory, like, you know, James, now you, you do have a best-selling book, like you are a sought after speaker and author. And if we didn't have a long history, it would be a lot harder to break through for you. And the same thing with me, like the number of people in my inbox every week. And I think the same is true for all of us who want something, want to chat, want to invest, want to do whatever is long. And I don't, there's not a great way to filter through those people to figure out who's going to be that genuine connection long-term without any context or without any kind of introduction. And so, you know, the walls get higher in terms of who is able to, to meet the bar of not, it's not like we're trying to keep people out, but it is, you you have to say no to more things than you can say yes to at some point. And uh, so the earlier you can start in building those relationships, the more valuable it is.
1: Well, Ryan, I would love to know how you think about that. Cause I, what I, that phrase I mentioned earlier, like evidence of greatness, I, whenever I can see a little bit of that, I feel like I need to reach out to that person right away because that, like what you said, Barrett, like that wall, it keeps increasing. I think about, I got two examples like Chris Picard, who now has millions of followers on Instagram is like this really popular travel photographer. I first came across him when he had like, I don't know, 50,000 followers or something. And you could just tell he was going to be big. Like it was just obvious. And Steffi Cohen was the same way. She's like this world class power lifter. And now she's got, you know, probably a million followers. And I think I first saw her when she had like 14,000 or something. And, but you just knew it was like the, you could just see the trajectory. And I always kick myself for, I know Steffi, but I don't know Chris because I like tried to set up a call with him and we just missed each other and we had to reschedule and I never got around to it and never rescheduled. And then like four years later, he's got 4 million people following him. And so he doesn't even know who I am. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, you just need to when you have an opportunity like that, I think you need to like connect with uh, excellent people because the window can be really tight.
0: Yeah. So on the flip side, um, Emily, one of the people listening in just um, asked, when you have all of these opportunities and options for how to spend your time, how do you decide what to say yes to? I think it's always, I mean, so
2: you're going to get a lot wrong. It's the, probably the, the high level truth. I think for me, I try to, it's probably some, calculus between my own excitement or interest about the perceived value that I can create for that person by engaging and then the perceived value for me in engaging. And so I think at different points in my life, I've optimized for those th- those things differently and probably care more about one than the other. And so now I probably over-index on value for me, me being primer, because I'm just so focused on primer right now. And if it doesn't have value for primer, I'm probably going to say no to it. But there's also periods, like, especially when I was in between companies or taking time off where I'm much more oriented around like, Hey, I don't really care about value for me. Like I'm just happy to help. So I think it's always some mixture of those three. And then the other thing I would say is, um, to James point there's been there's a few people that reach out i probably get 5 or 10 of these a year where you can just tell immediately like there's something about the email they wrote or how they reached out or the intro they got or something where you're just like all right this person like we're going to be either great friends or like i want to i want to work with them or whatever and so i think those are i think that's the other that's the exception is there's a few people that will always figure out how to break through and if you can figure out how to be one of those people either by working on something really interesting that people want to hear about and connect over or, you know, getting an intro through someone or whatever, then you can break through that way. But otherwise I would say like, don't, don't take it personally because there's, it's just, you know, we're going to get it wrong and everyone gets it wrong when you're trying to filter through these.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The other phrase i like is like force of nature. You can just see some people are just like a force of nature and you're like, okay, they're i like, I have to know who this person is. Um, Mm -hmm. but yeah, kind of similar to Ryan, I, I would say I probably have maybe, yeah, two or three filters as well. Like, one of them, what Ryan was just mentioning, like if it doesn't have to do with primer, you're not focused on it right now. And for so for me, I would say that for me, that filter is like, is it relevant to what I'm working on uh, in the moment or what's important to me? And that actually, if you invert that, that's actually a pretty cool way to figure out how to get in touch with somebody who usually their wall would be really high. Like if you want to get to know Ryan having some excuse that is related to homeschooling, some resource that's related to that, some initiative, whatever, that's a great way to get in touch with you right now because all your energy is focused on that. And so sometimes people try to do that with like celebrities. They'll be like, well, what's their charity or whatever. And that, that's like kind of a good way to do it. But I think it's, it's better. They might have had that charity for, you know, 20 years. It's better to ask like what is really relevant to their uh, interest right now and then use that as the entry point. So, relevance to the projects I'm currently working on. That's one. The the second one is probably money. Honestly, it depends on the, the request, but like I'm thinking about speaking uh, requests, you know, I'm in this fortune position where we get multiple requests a day and, you know, I literally can't do that many. So we have to filter somehow. And it's a bummer that, you know, it has to be money, but that's the easiest way to figure it out. It's just like, here's what the budget is. Um, and so that's money is sometimes a filter depending on what the project is. And then, yeah, occasionally it's so hard to to describe this well, but you, it's like, you know, it, when you see it, there's just a certain level of thought and care that's put into uh, an introduction or a cold email or whatever. And when it comes across really thoughtful, you can just tell. Um, and so sometimes I'll give that more, um, weight than maybe I would normally. The other thing, too, is and this is I'm speaking more now as someone who still does cold outreach and stuff. Most of the time, no, doesn't really mean no. It just means not right now. And, you know, people, especially successful people, are busy. And so generally speaking, people want to be helpful. They are kind. They're generous. They are interested in, you know, trying to, like, help other people out and want to collaborate or be helpful in some way but we all have competing priorities. And so you need to be willing to circle back and to not take a no or even a silence and no reply, to not take that personally. Um, and if you're willing to be a little bit, it's like you need to be persistent, but in a friendly way. And if you're willing to do that, then often it'll pan out in some over some time span.
0: Yeah, I like that. Uh, I'd say mine, or are, are enthusiasm certainly, Experiencing the pain of enthusiasm has helped me use that less as a filter these days. Uh, The pain of enthusiasm, meaning, you know, saying yes to a speaking thing or saying yes to connecting with someone who I don't know the agenda that they have or Mm. whatever. And you go through that and you go teach a workshop at a conference that sounded cool, but actually wasn't able to promote itself and doesn't have anyone in the seats or your workshop has 15 people in it or whatever. And it's like, okay, I flew to this city. I spent a bunch of time prepping and all of 15 people heard this. And I could have done the same thing from my home office on a podcast and like had a thousand people hear it for almost no cost of my time. You know, you do enough of those things and you realize, okay, enthusiasm is not the best filter. And then I guess the other two would be, does it align with my short-term goals and does it align with my, align with my long-term goals? And the long-term goals are always the hardest ones to make an excuse for, because one example is I have a little bit of an interest, maybe an interest long-term in uh, public office. And so any connection that will help inform that potential interest long-term is good, but also it has zero relevance to like my goals this year. And so what do I do with that if an opportunity like that comes my way? And usually I try and say, yes, like I'm always trying to plant little seeds along the way that could turn out to be really valuable later, even if they're not immediately relevant to me now. So those are some of my filters
1: my ultimate pain of enthusiasm example was I went to Dubai and gave a speech and less than 15 people attended. So <laughs> <it> was, <laughs> at least I gave up a week of my life to, <laughs> to do
0: that. That's actually pretty good. At least you got to see Dubai? Question
1: mark? I know. It was great.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. I want to transition topics a little bit. Uh Sleep, diet, and exercise, at least in my life, I've found to be kind of the bedrock. Um, those are the the cornerstone habits that I need to maintain in order to stay kind of mentally present enough to do good work and to have good creative output. So I'd love to hear from both of you. Are those things things that you emphasize? And are there any kind of like habits, tricks, practices that you have around optimizing for for sleep, diet, and exercise? If so. Ryan, you're the expert on habits. What do you think?
2: Yeah, I actually wrote a book on this if, uh, if anyone's interested. I actually told Barrett the only thing I would didn't want to talk about on this podcast was habits. And uh, right.
1: He's known for being a great listener. That's what makes him a good leader.
2: Um, I will go quickly so Dr. Habits uh, can talk. Okay. But uh, I, the things I do are, uh, so sleep is insanely important to me. Uh, that's, that's probably the thing that I've learned over the last three or four years. So I try to get eight hours of sleep every night even with kids and everything. Um, I don't sleep with my phone in my room. I try to not be on my phone, um, after, uh, or like within maybe like an hour of going to sleep. And then I try to not drink much alcohol. So maybe drink alcohol like three or four times a month and then try to do no caffeine and no sugar. So I don't, I don't drink any caffeine at all, uh, now. And then I try to eat and drink very little sugar. And that's worked pretty well. Um, and then also I, I find that exercise and sleep are like a loop and if I exercise well, I sleep better. If I sleep better, I want to exercise more And that loop. Just kind of, you know, if you can get that spinning, then you're in good shape. So, and then diet, I don't put a ton of emphasis on, um, but just try to eat healthy.
1: I like that idea of it being a loop that definitely is, uh, feels that way for me. And it also makes me think like where are other kind of habit loops like that or created like positive, uh, feedback loops, you know? There's certainly like some creative ones that are like that. The more I read, the more I feel, feel like writing. It's easier for me to write if I read a lot. You I used to think, oh, if I'm not writing well, I just need to spend more time on it. But actually, I usually need to read more. Um, yeah, it's like when the outputs actually become the inputs. Like, actually, I, exercise I well kind of I sleep, but then I want to sleep because I exercise well. I kind of think about it like driving a car, like the point of having a car is not to be at the gas station and just pump gas into it all day long and never go anywhere. But if you never fill up, you like you break down. And so you need like you need both to fill it up and to go on adventures. But I've always been pretty good about two of the three. Um, I've always been pretty good about sleep. That's kind of been my cardinal rule, even since college. Like if I um, if I was studying for a test or something and it got to midnight, my rule was like I would rather go to bed at midnight than study for another hour and try to like be more prepared or whatever. So I'm pretty good about pretty good about sleep and getting, you know, at least eight hours or so. Training has been uh, my introduction to it was as an athlete and like playing baseball and stuff. And then I just kind of have kept it up in various ways since then. Um, And I I like strength training. It's kind of it's not meditation, but it's kind of meditative for me in the sense that it's the only place that I go where I don't have to think about all the other things that I need to do. Um, It's the only the gym's really the only place where I like actually leave work behind. And that can be hard when you're an entrepreneur and you have a home office because there's never really a clear delineation. So. I find it really helpful for that reason. I, I actually don't think I would still be an entrepreneur if I didn't work out. Uh, I mm-hmm. think that it would have just the mental side of it would have got to me at this point And I would have been like, this is too hard. I just, I should go get a regular job. So those two, I'm pretty good with nutrition. I, quite frankly, I've never really optimized that well. Um, I'm actually trying to do a better job of that in just this last, um, week or two i I've like started kind of a new program with that. So we'll see, I've never actually done like a formal program or diet or whatever. So we'll see how that goes. So that's kind of a work in progress, but I've never done as well on that one as I do on the other two.
0: Yeah. I mean, I want to highlight the one thing that you said, James, was that you don't, you're not sure you'd still be an entrepreneur if you didn't exercise the way you do. And I think for all three of us, exercise is such a major part of just what keeps us going. One of my triggers is, uh, if I'm experiencing anxiety or, or starting to feel the like tinges of depression coming on at, in any given cycle of, Usually related to stressful times at work, I take a step back and I analyze these three things. You know, how am I sleeping? How am I eating? Am I exercising? And almost always, I'm not saying this is the solution for everyone, but for me, those three things are out of whack. I'm probably having a cocktail instead of working out in the evenings. I'm probably letting my diet slip a little bit. I'm probably not sleeping very much uh, or as much as I should. And so, for me, I try and exercise at least three times a week, um, pretty hard. Like. And when I say exercise, I mean like really pound out a workout for 45 minutes or an hour. I do like walks and play some basketball or something. And I know that that is technically exercising, but I don't think of it that way. I think of it more as like play, which has its own place too. sleep. I've had anxiety around since I was a kid, like I've had anxiety around going to sleep my whole life. And so that is the hardest one for me, but it's the biggest key to me feeling good, not being as frustrated, like doing good work. And so to fix that, I've tried to create a routine at night that I follow. And I know that if I turn all screens off by before 10 and the dogs have been walked and the dishes have been washed and I go upstairs and I same thing, Ryan, I leave my phone and my iPad and everything in my office, which is a floor below our bedroom, then I know that I'm likely to get good enough sleep because I'll just do my thing, read and go to bed. But if I pass that 10 o'clock mark, I'm probably going to be up until 1231. And because it just becomes this like cascading series of mistakes basically. Uh, And then on the diet side in my early twenties, I had a bunch of uh, issues around stress, but that got tied into diet. And I basically went no dairy, no um, gluten and low sugar and have pretty much done that for the past decade. And that, that works pretty well for me as a default and helps me stay, stay in pretty good space. I am the worst about the sugar piece. That's probably the part that I struggle with the most. Okay. We had a question. I'm going to do one to each of you and then we'll do one more about family and then we'll wrap up. Um, Teddy asked one in the chat, James, for you, he said, I love the British cycling team story. Do you have thoughts on applying that mindset to creating in 2020?
1: Create what was the last part creating in 2020.
0: Yeah. I don't know if it's any different right now or not. Uh, what, what book is the British cycling? <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, Yeah, I mean, the the idea of getting one percent better every day or just continuous improvement, um, you know, I feel like applies to pretty much anything. I like to think about it kind of like trajectory rather than position. So and this, I think, very much applies to creativity and or just being a creator in general. We talk a lot about position in life, like what is the number on the scale? What is the number in the bank account? You know, what is the current status of whatever the thing is that you're working on? And I think we don't talk enough about trajectory. Um, and as a creator, you're basically just trying to focus on being on an upward or 1% better or slightly improving, however you want to define it, uh, trajectory each day. Like there's particularly with books, but this is, it's this way with a lot of creative projects. A book is a really annoying thing to work on because you wake up and you work for eight hours and then it looks like just as much of a mess as it did when you started. And it continues to feel like that for like, eight months, nine months, a year, a year and a half, whatever. And then finally, it all starts to kind of fall into, fall into place and come together. And if you're focused on position is very demotivating, because the position is the manuscript looks like a mess and has for a long time. But if you focus on trajectory, and just trying to find a way to like not throw up zero, and continue to make slight progress today, then that's much more motivating. Like before this call, I'm working on a manuscript. It's 189,000 words right now. So it's huge. It's this massive thing. And I know that it needs to be like half that length. And so uh, at the end of today's session, it's 188,700. So I cut 300 words today. And like the position is basically exactly the same, but the trajectory is improving. And so like that felt like progress to me, even though it still largely looks like a mess. And um, I think that idea applied to whatever uh, project you're working on is is pretty useful. Mm-hmm. I also just like to summarize it by saying, like, if you have good habits, then time's your ally. And if you have bad habits, time's your enemy. And I think about that a lot. Like, how can we make today my ally and just like try to continue to move in the right direction?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the things I'd, I'd add on there just for context, or maybe two, is one, the more you've seen something work, the more trust you'll have in that kind of process of oh, seeing yeah, sure. trajectory. And the second confidence thing is, is like displayed
1: ability you know like mm-hmm. once you've
0: displayed the ability
1: that it can actually play out that way you f- yeah you feel way more confident
0: yeah exactly once you've hit a game winner once you're willing to take it again and the second piece there is i think the less you have a financial pressure on you an immediate financial pressure to solve for The more you can trust in that process, too. I still think you should trust in the process either way, but if you have financial pressure and you haven't seen it work before, trusting that you're on the right trajectory is really hard. And so I would just call that out that if you're in that position, that can really affect your process there.
1: I think that's actually why a lot of entrepreneurs don't consider themselves huge risk takers, but from the outside, everybody says they're doing something risky is because people who go through that, they know that they need a margin of safety. And you can actually you can get a margin of safety through a variety of ways, like having a financial cushion is one way. Um, The ultimate margin of safety is being willing to work hard, because you can always use the next unit of time to uh, carve out some small advantage for yourself or keep yourself alive. But so it can come in different ways. But you're right, you need that. You need some kind of margin of safety, whether it's financial or psychological or social or whatever to make you feel like, yeah, this, I can, I can try this and fail and I'll be fine. You know, like I'll figure it out. Hmm. Sometimes I feel like entrepreneurship is just trusting that you'll figure it out because like ultimately every, there's just always the next scenario that you don't know what it is or what it holds or what to do. But entrepreneurs trust that they'll figure it out anyway, even though there's no playbook.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I, I trust that I can survive this failure is kind of what, what I think at the outset of any bet that we make is, Okay. I understand the absolute worst case and I know we can keep going even if that happens. So let's, let's go. Ryan, one, th- one I had for you is one of the things I've, uh, of many that I've always admired about you is the way that you prepare for meetings. I don't think meetings are anyone's favorite way to spend a block of time, but if I'm going to spend time in a meeting, I definitely want to be prepared and I want it, want it to be worthwhile. Um, I'd love you to just share a little bit about how you go about prepping and what you expect for, for the other people who you're in meetings with in terms of their preparation as well.
2: I, so I spend about 30 minutes every morning, just prepping for the day. So in my role, I typically have like somewhere between now at primer, it's much less because we're really small. So we have almost no meetings, but you know, when a company gets to 50, 60, hundred people and you're executive, you'll, you'll have, you know, five, six, seven internal meetings a day, two to three external meetings a day. Sometimes those flip depending on what you're doing, fundraising, getting acquired whatever. And so what I typically do is spend 30 minutes in the morning prepping for the day and I'll sort of figure out which meetings I need to spend time prepping on, make notes and notion for the day. Um, and then I have basically a notion, I have a notion doc uh, called running notes and then it has basically a, every day has a header and then all the meetings. And so I'll write in anything that I want to talk about or anything, questions that I have or anything I want to just be aware of in that meeting uh, sort of in the prep section. And then there'll be a in meeting section and then a post section. And so And meeting is where I add any notes that I'm taking in the meeting post is, uh, any like follow-ups or action items that I need to do. So most of the prep happens in the morning, uh, just because it's not like practical to prep before each meeting and block like 10 minutes to prep before those. And then to answer the second part of the question. So I'm a big believer in really short meetings by default. So like 20 minute meetings by default, it allows you to save a ton of time. I think most people just use calendar defaults and like you can fit almost everything into a 20 minute meeting. And then anyone who, if someone's in the meeting, there needs to be a really good reason why they're there. So like, we don't, we don't just have meetings for the sake of like informing people, like informing can happen in a lot of other ways. And then making it really clear, whatever, who's owning, whoever's driving that meeting should be really clear to everyone. And so every meeting at Primer and every meeting at Omni had an owner of like, who, who owns this meeting? If it's a recurring meeting, someone owns it. If it's a one-off meeting, some, someone still owns it. And then making sure everyone has clarity that they're they're setting the agenda. They're you know making sure the action items are followed up. And I think that a lot of times meetings are like an excuse for anytime there's uncertainty, people want to have meetings. And I think that's a really terrible sort of like reflex within organizations. And so I always try to fight for how can we create, if, if all we need is clarity, is there a way to create that clarity without having a meeting or mitigate the uncertainty? And so I think I would, I would have a meeting an aversion to meetings, I think is a very healthy thing to build into your organization and just personally. Um, and then that will sort of by default, make sure that every meeting you have is, is, is pretty productive.
0: Yeah. I love that. And as a creator, the more time you can free up to actually do the work, the better. And so I think following that same kind of practice of getting clarity without meetings if possible, and if you have to have them really coming in and prepared and, and making use of the time. Um, okay, last one. Uh, I had two more topics I wanted to cover: family and money. But you know, money is always talked about all over the place, so we won't cover that one. But I do want to talk about family. We're all three married. Uh, kids are in our futures, in one way or the other. The other, I think, based on what I know about all of us, um, Ryan and I are already having kids, and so I know that family is important to all of us. Uh, I'd love to just kind of hear what some of the habits or practices you have around having intentional family time and, and balancing that work and home life. Cause we're all three very ambitious, very driven at work. And, and like you said, James, especially now being able to work at home and never really put it down if you don't want to, makes it that much easier to skip out on the family piece. So yeah, what are just some of the things that y'all do to prioritize this family and, and home relationships? So I would say I've struggled a lot with this over the years.
2: Um, our current strategy which is working well so ever since my first son was, first kid was born we have another one on the way i have basically done every morning with him so i'll get him out of bed and then we spend between an hour an hour and a half together um, in the morning when my wife sleeps and we make breakfast and coffee and smoothies and different things and so that pattern has been i think really healthy for us for him and i to get a dedicated chunk of time in the morning, just us every day. And so that's worked really well for us. And so I think to the extent that it's possible to build that into your schedule, that can work really well. And then the thing that my wife and I are doing is we are uh, blocking basically two nights a week that are sort of like no work date nights. And so we do that. And then one day uh, each weekend, try to block as like a no work day. Um, And so then it's sort of understood that by default, the other nights, you know, I always sort of like stop to do, dinner and bath time and stuff with, with my son but then after that the default is like working but if you know if, if we don't then that's we're thankful for it but then there's two nights a week and a full day in the weekend that's just like completely closed off and that's worked that's worked pretty well and then i think mean, just trying to schedule vacation time and making sure that you're you have blocks where you can unplug for a week or even like a long weekend is just really important mm-hmm. especially if you have a family
0: yeah yeah for sure
1: yeah, we. I mean, we've been lucky in the sense that we don't have kids yet, so it hasn't been as uh, difficult of a trade-off or as much organization or you know discipline there. It also helps to not have many friends because then I just have to see my wife a lot. Um, <laughs> but uh, I don't know. We're. Um, I. I think. I think there are two things that um, have been practical or useful for us. So one is ha- we we have a variety of like shared things that we do together, like we train at the gym together, and that's an hour that we get, uh, you know, four days a week or whatever, that um, it's just a it's nice to have that to get that space where we're like doing something actively together. And it just yeah, it ends up becoming a bonding uh, space, even though it isn't designed in that way. And then uh, similar to that, and this is kind of a lesson that I learned from us going to a gym is changing environments or changing context. It's really easy if I stay at home to and I think both of you are this way, too. Um, you know, my default is I want to get stuff done. My default is I want to contribute and like be ambitious and and do things. And so it's really easy to just get locked into that pattern. If I'm, you know, if the home office is nearby and I can just walk down the hallway, then I'll probably do that and start doing more work. But if we switch context and are in a different environment, it's actually much easier for me to shut off than I thought it would be, but I need to be in a different space. We need to be walking around the neighborhood or we need to be in a gym or we need to be out to dinner or whatever. And so, having a, a different physical location to go to has been helpful for that as well.
0: Yeah. Love that. Uh, we've got a couple practices. One is Sunday's family meeting night. We have four or five questions. We ask, you know, what was your high and low this week? What's your week ahead look like? How can I support you? And we do a financial update every week. We look at our budget and we just see how we're progressing throughout the month. Um, red, yellow, green. Yeah. Red, yellow, always start with red, yellow, green, of course. Um, And just kind of having that intentional space to like check in, make sure we know what's going on in the week ahead, understand, yeah, just like how the other person is doing. Because sometimes it can be easy when you're engulfed in your own stuff to miss that the other person is actually really struggling or maybe has something to celebrate that you haven't acknowledged. Uh, Thursdays or a night in the week, we have a date night and in the before times, the before COVID times, we always went out for that. It's been a little harder to like do that at home, I guess, to feel like we're having date night. Um, but we've been trying to maintain that. And then my default is, is same thing, Ryan, uh, I'm there for bath and bedtime and that's the default. And then if like, I'm making an intentional decision to have a happy hour with friends or go play basketball one night or something, that is a decision I'm making not to do the norm, as opposed to it being the other way around where I might be there for bedtime. And I've just found like that has just created this into the day. That's really special with, uh, with the kids. So really enjoyed that. Um, I brought that up because I think a lot of people would be surprised the degree to which a lot of entrepreneurs who have healthy family lives prioritize it. I think it's it's kind of like the easy thing to do to let it the the relationships fester and and kind of deteriorate over time at home when you have successful and big goals uh, out in the world. So anyways, wanted to highlight that
1: just to add to that, i you know, I think that's one thing I respect about both of you and where we started this conversation talking about like creating a space to connect with people and like, um, you know, if you can't naturally find those environments then like building them yourselves or hosting retreats or whatever, I think there's a lot of value to seeking out entrepreneurs and creators who do prioritize things like that so that you can see that it is more of a norm and the people that you surround yourself with are also valuing some of those things that maybe are more easily brushed aside in the name of ambition or whatever. And Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I think that there are, in that sense, there are a lot of benefits beyond just growing your business to finding the right
0: crew to hang out with. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Okay. Do, 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 do. Creator of the day. I always do a little jingle uh, if you've never listened all the way through. Anyways, it's rapid fire round. We're going to do a creator of the day each and then a resource of the day and then we'll get out of here. Creator of the day. Did you each prepare one? The jingle
1: took me off my game. I'm ready though. We can, let's, <laughs> let's start and we'll, we'll come up with something.
0: Okay, my creator of the day then is CJ McCollum. He is a shooting guard for the Portland Trailblazers. But more importantly, he is a, a creator. I'll share my screen in two ways that he's creating right now. One is he just did a partnership with Adelsheim Winery here in Oregon and made a new Pinot Noir called McCollum Heritage 91. It's coming out this week, which I think is pretty cool. And then he's also got a podcast. If you enjoy sports, and business. They kind of talk a little bit about both CJ McCollum and a guy named Jordan Schultz, who's kind of like the media half of it. Um, do a podcast regularly, not during the playoffs though. So it's not happening right now. So the most recent one is recapping the last dance, the Michael Jordan show and a couple other things. So, uh, if you haven't heard of CJ, he's a great guy and he's probably more interesting off the court than he is on the court, although he's a very good basketball player. So CJ is my creator of the day. All right, you two,
1: who you got? Uh all right, so my creator, it'll it's basically a Twitter follow, but uh her name is Angela Jiang and I feel like she's the most underfollowed person that I follow. Um and she's really sharp and every time she doesn't tweet often, but every time she does, it makes me like stop in my feed and think. So um yeah, I'll give bear a link and you can drop it in the show notes or whatever.
0: Love it. Ryan. Mine is,
2: uh, there's uh, it's of Eugene Wei. He's, a, he's also a primer investor, but he's a essayist and um, online writer who's written a bunch of really, really cool, uh, really cool pieces across like a lot of different topics. And so read his stuff a lot. And I also think he's highly under followed. Um, so he's really great both on Twitter and uh, essays are really good too. Love it.
0: That's great. Um, okay. I'm not going to put you both on the spot for resources of the day, but I did come up with two resources of the day. My first one is the clear habit journal from our friend, James clear. This is a way to put James teaching into practice. I have, I actually just have a plain notebook where I write down the habit. Uh, I track again, I set goals for the year. I break them down into habits. I track them daily at night, right before I go to bed. It's part of my bedtime routine. James has made it way easier with this to not have to come up with it on your own. And they partner with a great company called Baron fig Who's founder, Joey Cofoni, is also awesome. And maybe I should have him on the show sometime. But um, anyways, check that out. And then my second resource of the day is Primer Navigator. With the school year coming up, um, kind of starting in a lot of places, Primer has made it, aka Ryan, has made it really easy for you to understand local regulations and requirements for homeschooling. I know a lot of parents have uh, considered homeschooling if they're not doing it on their own uh, on their own already with the state of public schools in a lot of the nation. Um, so anyways, if you've thought about homeschooling or you are homeschooling or you're just a little bit curious, uh, Primer Navigator will help you get started with at least the kind of regulatory piece of it and understanding what the requirements are locally. And then they have a great library of resources, too, if you want to check that out for things like lesson plans, activities and uh, other homeschooling resources like that. So anyways, I thought I could give you both a shout out since you were here for the day. I'll send you your check next week. I love it. Uh, closing it out with a thought of the day from uh, my friend James. James. Goals are good for setting a direction, but systems are best for making progress. A handful of problems arise when you spend too much time thinking about your goals and not enough time designing your systems. Um, hopefully that aligns with some of what you heard from us today. We have systems for a lot of things we do. And I think sometimes actually we take them for granted because they've been around so long, but I, I think you'd be surprised by the number of just habits and systems that are in place behind the people you see doing work that you're inspired by. So Hopefully this gave you a little peek into that. All right, that's it for today. Hope y'all enjoyed it. See you next time. Thanks for listening to The Future Belongs to Creators. We're the makers of ConvertKit, where we're on a mission to help creators earn a living by building software that helps you build an audience of loyal fans. ConvertKit is the best way to launch or grow your next creative project. To start building your audience with a landing page and to send emails up to 500 subscribers for free, go to landingpage.new. That's landingpage.new to get started with the free ConvertKit account today. We'll see you next time.